Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm in the studio with my good friend and my not funny co-host, Jason Zanger. Jason, how you doing, man? Hilarious, buddy. I know. I just thought I'd add that little banter in to get things going. Yeah. So the, the, we're the big, kinda, we're we're in, a, we're in a good mood today. Yeah. The big joke is, you know, I always tell Jim how not funny he is, and that I'm the funny one between the two of us. So you know, he's just trying to make a dig at me. But the metalworking nation knows that Jason Zenger is the funny one. Right. They do. I agree. Now let's move on. So anyway, we're here at DMDI Studios. We've got a great VIP guest in with us today that I can't wait to introduce, or you're probably going to do the introduction. Yeah. It feels good to be back at DMDII. Like I said on the previous episode, things are changing here. And I just like manufacturing and our businesses change and evolve and get better, I feel like that's what they're doing here at DMDII. Yeah, I think that they're... Uh, they're hitting the refresh they're, they're on the cusp of exiting the period of time where they're fully funded. And I think that they're going to be going into like self-sustainment mode pretty soon. So I think you're going to see some changes here and hopefully there'll be changes for the better. I don't they know. They did we'll get see. a new leader. I know that. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's move on to what we're going to talk about. So Jim, what are we going to talk about? One of the big things in the manufacturing industry everybody keeps talking about is the thing that's keeping manufacturing leaders up at night right now is hiring. So let's just imagine this scenario. We get done recording this episode. Ryan Carr calls you up and he's like, Bob just resigned. He retired, maybe got a better job offer. Who knows? I don't employ a Bob, by the way. That's why it's a story that we're making up, Jim. Come on, work work with me here, Okay, I'll work with you. So if you need to fill a position tomorrow, do you actually have a step-by-step process, a checklist where you're like, okay, Ryan, take this document and do this in order to fill this position. I have CNC machinists in the queue, if that's what you're asking me. No, that's not what I'm asking oh, you. Well, what I'm asking you is... Ask could, me again. That could be a part of your process. Do you have... Do you oh, know exactly? Process. Do you know exactly what you would do, step one, if you needed to hire somebody new? Yes. And if you answer no, I mean, that's no. okay. Because I, know, I would say I most... I've been in this industry forever, and I, I'm evolved, and yeah, I know what to do. Okay, so what, what's the first I'm thing not, you I'm not going to put an ad in the Chicago Tribune anymore in a paper thing. I'll probably review my culture video that I recorded a couple years ago, see if it's still relevant. And then you probably to- post it on social? I would probably link it through a Craigslist ad, or maybe through... I don't even know. Maybe Glassdoor has been interesting me lately. I don't know. Can you post? Maybe maybe our guest can give us some little insight into that. But anything electronic that can be seen. What's the big the big one with all the monster monster? And there's another indeed. one too. Yeah, indeed, that's the one. I would post my culture video on those outlets just to start to get things going. That's what I would do immediately. Then there'd be a whole other checklist of things that right. I would so do. So before we even get into like Social all media. the details of that, you yes. know that we're doing a series on processes. We are. Processes for manufacturing leaders. Okay. And what we're going to talk about today is the hiring and onboarding process. And we have somebody in here that knows that better than you and I. So before we get there, how do we always start off our, our Making Chips episodes? Well, we talk about what's something new good. in our... Something good. What's exciting and positive. So what do you got going on that's exciting and positive? I have something very... Very exciting that I just learned about this morning. I got an email at 12.28 a.m. And my phone was right next to my nightstand. And I couldn't sleep. 
like most of us. Well, it's because you keep your cell group. phone under your pillow. Yeah, well, it wasn't under my pillow, but so. But I saw the email, and I saw that I got an email from the president of the Valley Industrial Association, and we are finalists. We are finalists in their benchmarking for excellent and spark awards. We are being recognized as finalists in two of six categories for culture and workforce development. Cool. And we have an opportunity to win one, two, or even be on top of that. So I'm super excited. They're having a small group of judges come into our facility and do an on-site interview And we will know, we will be present at their award ceremony on March 13th. And I'm super excited that we even were getting the nod. That's great. We're we're a nominee. Yeah. So my wife this morning, I told her and she goes, why aren't you going to know if you're going to get the award? I said, well, if you're nominated for a Grammy award, you show up at the Grammy awards and you're sitting in with all the celebrities and the musicians and then they call your name when you win. That's exactly how this is going to happen. That's great. I'm glad that you finally found an award that nobody else applied for. (laughs) So... This is really good, and I'm very excited about it because I think it's I think our hard work and the change in the direction that I'm leading my small manufacturing company, which isn't that small anymore, is coming to fruition. And I think it's kind of aligned with what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that, that's with our guests, that is great. And I was obviously I was joking, but I know you know you, you've fine. done you've you've you done tr- some. Great I know things. you try to be funny. Um, I am funny. Yeah. I think this episode is apropos for us today, too, because we actually were growing like mad. I mean, we just got finished literally installing about 10 vending systems into two different clients, and we're just kind of going crazy busy, and we need to hire people, too. And it's hard right now. So, I mean, the good news is that we need to hire people. The bad news is it ain't easy. It is not easy. So I think that this episode is going to be really great because with the growth that we're experiencing right now, it's we need more people. We need more people to just do simple things like filling up those tool crib vending stations. And it's hard to find great people because we have high expectations for the people that are our team and our culture and everything like that. And we want high performing people. And so it's a good problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. So we're going to learn more about this. So I have some manufacturing news, Jim. I see that. There's I, a familiar face in the, in the manufacturing news, too. Yeah, so, and it's a, fam- a face that's not familiar or, not, not familiar or synonymous to, with manufacturing. With manufacturing. Yeah. No. So I'm going to read the title of the article. Bill Gates-led venture capital fund invests in carbon-free steel manufacturing. So this is from Fortune.com. And I think if you were to summarize this in a sentence, I guess what you would say is Bill Gates is trying to make the old smokestack go away as it relates to... To steel manufacturing. And we do have a lot of clients who manufacture and produce steel in the traditional way. There's a U.S. steel plant that's being reinvested heavily down the street from one of our locations in Gary, Indiana. And I think that what Bill Gates is doing is great. It's interesting to see how wide scale he's going to be able to develop or his company's investing so is going to is, be develop a process to manufacture steel. Is he coming up with a different option for steel or he's trying to make the process of making steel more sustainable to our economy. Well, so our, let's let's be really clear. This is not Bill Gates created this company or anything like no, that. No, he's no, just, no, but he's he's, he's, a, he's he's an innovative guy and he's investing in this company. The company is called Boston Metal and what they're trying to do is overall they're trying to reduce carbon emissions in steel that's what it is. by using electricity instead of traditional what they call pollution 
heavy techniques. So this company, Boston Metal, uses a process called metal oxide electrolysis, which allows pure metals to be produced without carbon emissions. The only byproduct to the process is oxygen. Awesome. So at this point in time, they don't even have a commercially viable product. And at this point in time, they're probably going to be making real niche type stuff. It's not this is going to be a threat to U.S. Steel or any major metal companies at this point in time. It's kind of like the whole analogy of like 3D printing. Additive is going to replace subtractive tomorrow. This is not not going to happen. This is not going to replace traditional steel manufacturing tomorrow. But I, I assume that they have on their radar that they want this to be a wide scale process. Well, it says typically steel is made by burning iron oxide with coke, not, cocaine or no, Coca-Cola or no, what is Jim, that? It's, it's, it's what, not what, it's, it's what I'm, That's what I'm reading. It says typically steel is made. Stop trying to be funny, made, Jim. Well, a carbon-rich fuel made from coal. You're not the funny one, Jim. Well, answer the question. It says that it's made with coke. Okay. You know, I, I apologize to the Metalworking Nation for how <laughs> badly this episode has digressed. It's not digress. I'm asking the questions that the Metalworking Nation wants to know. What kind of Coke are they using? Cocaine? Coca-Cola? So Nick, our managing director at Making Chips, has looked up the definition of Coke as it relates to the steel processing industry. So Nick, what is it? A solid fuel made by heating coal in the absence of air so that the volatile components are driven off. All right, there you go, Jim. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that because I was confused there, as you could tell. So what they've said is that the process, as I mentioned before, is not commercially available, but it will be cost competitive with traditional techniques. And one of the things that's helping with this is that electricity is getting cheaper, coal costs are rising, and so it's going to make these techniques more affordable in, in the future. So what they have said is that it has the potential to decarbonize the massive steel manufacturing industry and economically deliver a set of high-quality products on a global sale. So this is a little bit above my pay grade, even though I'm educated as a chemical engineer and yada, yada, yada. I don't really understand what goes into these techniques. It's great know. innovation, though. It's great that, it really know, is. That, and it's great that, that people they're... are thinking outside of the box. Right. And Bill Gates is helping to put his stamp of approval and his name on, on this process. And I, I think it's great that to have Bill Gates in the manufacturing community. Yeah. Maybe we'll get him to come into making chips someday. Yeah, that'd be great. We can we can interview him. Yeah. So why don't we move on? So today, as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing the hiring and onboarding process. We have in the studio with us Jessica Ducci, the manager of organizational development at Smalley Company. Jess is a veteran to making chips, but until today, we have not had the pleasure of having her with us by herself. Jess was a part of our 100th episode panel discussion and was also part of our IMTS 2018 panel discussion on solving the skills gap. Jess, welcome back to Making Chips. Hey guys, good to be here. Jess, I love when you're on the show. So, Jess, do you remember that IMTS 2018 panel discussion? I do. I loved it. What, what was your What was like your big takeaway from that? What did you think was great about that panel discussion? I felt like the energy, just from everybody kind of being around the stage and being so engaged and present and at the show to really learn as much as they could was amazing. So you felt like everybody just wanted to hear every word you said and just be a part of it. That was so cool. Yeah, we did have an all-star panel. You included in that all-star panel. I mean, it was you, it was Titan Gilroy, it was Tony Neary, and it was Frederick. Rico Shimarella. It was a great panel discussion, just a lot of energy, like you mentioned. It was so, day one, too. And it was day were one. You, I was a little yeah. nervous, were you? 
I was a little, a little, yeah, a little, a little bit, shaky. A little bit, I mean, I was comfortable, yeah. but I was yeah. like, uh, how are we going to pull this off? Yeah, you, you, go? But yeah. yeah, you definitely got better by the seventh day. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we only did six. I know. That's why I'm saying that. <laughs> anyway, this is not about you and you and I, Jim. This is about Jess. So I let's know. go back and to Jess. She is a great person. I'm really welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you. Thanks thank for you. taking the trek down to Goose Island in Chicago I and love it. sitting around with us and equipping and inspiring the metalworking nation on how to, like Jason has eloquently titled, create a hiring and onboarding process because we need help. This is this is a serious problem that I don't believe is going to go away next week, next month, next year, or even in a few years from now. I think it's going to be an ongoing thing. And the companies that are savvy are the ones that are going to have the most success. Agreed. Exactly. Yeah. So Jess, as a manufacturing leader, where do I start first in assessing my hiring process? So Jim's got a bit of a hiring process. I have a hiring process that I follow through. How do I assess that hiring process and, and say, you know what, I need to do this better? So I think there's a couple things that you need to do. The first is really understanding who you are as a company. So you're talking marketing? A little bit of marketing, yeah, a little bit of branding, because who you are needs to come through in that hiring process, whether it's from posting the ad to the interview to the onboarding. That component of your organization has to be consistent the whole way through. So how do you know if your hiring process is effective and you're putting the right foot forward if you don't know what that right foot is. So I think there's a huge element of sitting down, looking at your company, looking at who your leaders are, who's going to be interviewing, what is the job, what do you want to present to a candidate? And then you start building from that mindset. How do I show a candidate who we are? So you're talking about your like culture and how you're positioning yourself to the client? Are you talking pure like marketing and the story you tell and target market and all that kind of stuff? I, can I clarify for me a little yeah. bit better? Yeah, so the cool thing is, is it's a little bit of both. It's okay. your employer brand, which I think is something that I just love so much because I think it's an awesome concept and so many people are really kind of starting to understand it, but still kind of missing the connection between marketing and employer brand. So I always kind of reference a sell sheet. If you're looking to buy a house, if you're looking to buy a product, you look at one page and it tells you everything you need to know about that house, about that product. Yeah, it's, you it's know, quick, three thousand square feet, yep. there's this many bedrooms, or yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. you got it. So it's the same thing. If you want to hire somebody and you wanted to give them one page on your company, what are the things that they have to know? You could go on for hours and hours, but they're going to drown out. They're going to stop listening. You have a very, very limited amount of time to hook that candidate. And we all know we don't have a lot of candidates to choose from. So that's first step is create your company sell sheet. What's your employer brand, which I'll probably and, and say a hundred times. Yeah. And would that be like a different document than say you would give to a potential client or is it similar or the same as something that you would give to somebody that you're trying to hire? Yep. Totally different. So we've got mission statements that generally go out to our customers. Who are we as a company? What do we strive to do for you? How are we going to serve you? All of the things that I'm going to reference are what we do internally. They go out to candidates, but we are talking about who are we as an employer? What are we going to provide to you in your career and your job path? What can you expect from us on a daily basis? And what's our commitment to you? And so you have to understand those things first. And then that's what's going to drive your culture. It's going to drive your hiring. It's going to drive your onboarding. It's going to drive your training. It's your foundation to everything. That's awesome. I could not agree with you more. And that's kind of why you did your culture video, right? Yeah, it is. It's a video and that it's tells a story. As I hear just saying these things, I totally understand it because I've made cognizant efforts to make change in the company. And yep. I get it. I get perception. I get branding. Mm-hmm. And I get how does the company look externally looking 
as people look in at the company, how do we look as a company? Yeah, and I think you could probably see the impact of that too. Once you decide and really can make that statement of who you are, you can start to see and feel how that affects, and it's a, it's a domino effect, how that affects then your onboarding, how that affects your training. How do you live to every day that foundational statement and that commitment you've made to your employee base, your potential employee base? Let's just say as a manufacturing leader, I have defined those things. I understand who I am. I can present who I am to my potential hire. We're talking about during this series, we're talking about process. So what does the actual hiring process look like? Is this seven steps to hiring? Is it yeah, three how do we steps get to started? Hiring? How do we get started? Like, what's Pretend what, like I knew nothing yeah, how do about cre- this before we brought yeah, you in exactly. today. How do we and create a, a process here? Because just, there's so many manufacturers out listening to us today right now that are completely oblivious to this. So let's break it down for them really in small increments and give them the bullet points on how to begin. Yeah, because this. I think, Jim, most manufacturers out there, they're just like, I just need to put an ad in the paper. I need to put a sign <laughs> out front. And, and, and I know that that's... That used that, to work 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's help manufacturing leaders to think differently. What is a better process look like? So I mentioned that sell sheet. So if you're looking to sell a job, you have to understand who your candidate is, who's your buyer. And then you have to really kind of get in their mindset. So I think that the idea of the newspaper can be translated into this generation. So when we were posting ads in newspapers, that's where our buyers were consuming their information. That's where they went to. That's where they went. That's exactly where they went. So now the first step is who are you looking for? I think you really have to understand that. I mean, a demographic. Exactly. Yeah. Not necessarily, well, not necessarily the demographic, but what's the type of individual that you're looking for? Is it somebody who wants a long-term position? Are you looking for an internship? Are you looking oh, okay. for a programmer? Yeah, am Are I you trying looking to hire for... a CFO or am I trying to hire a CNC go. machinist? Exactly. And the process for each of those is probably going to be different because you're looking for two different types of candidates. But what the big issue is, is people so consistently do the same thing for every job and then expect different results. Yeah, guilty. I I'm posting for a CFO and I'm posting for a programmer in the exact same way. Yeah. And then it's like one or the other isn't coming and there's this confusion as to why. So I think that's step one. Who are you looking for to fill the job? And then once you understand that, now you're going to start to figure out, okay, if it's at CFO, I'm probably going to look at platforms like LinkedIn or different networking groups, kind of some higher level executive type. Maybe hire a recruiting firm. A recruiting firm. You got it. So now you're going to go down a completely different path because you understand who that potential buyer is. If you're looking for a CNC programmer, it might be someone who consumes information on social media or is connected with TMA or is getting a certificate at a trade association or a local school or is working with a workforce development center. So these are completely different avenues. And that to me is if people take away one thing from listening to me talk is understand this step first because the rest will kind of naturally follow. You might fail the first couple of times, but you'll evolve in how you're thinking and how you're marketing your position. Great point. Great point. We understand who we are as a company. And Let's we just, understand the position we that understand we're the position. looking for yeah, and so, what, where to market to that position. Right. So what what is the next step in the process at that point? So once you've got all of that nailed down and you're starting to put those resources out, whether you're getting out in front of candidates or you're putting it on social or you're putting it with different executive groups, we talked about that, and your candidates start coming in, now it's about understanding what that step and what that process looks like. So what happens? 
happens when a candidate walks in your door. Are they sitting down at a table and filling out a six-page paper application that's really long and kind of excessive, but you're also having them bring a resume and they're copying their resume to the application and your process is feeling a little dated and maybe you're looking for that CNC programmer who wants to kind of be with an edgy company who's really getting into, you know, like, Jim, you guys are doing some crazy awesome things, but if your process feels like stagey and old school and just kind of like gritty, that's the first impression. So you're already at an uphill battle with that candidate now because you've laid that out. So it's understanding and literally walking through what the candidate is going to walk through when they come in your doors. So look at your HR processes, look at the paperwork, look at how they're filling that out. And then the next step is going to be that actual conversation point. So I think it's really, really important that companies understand who their hiring managers are, how they're interviewing. Have you provided them interviewing training, interviewing resources? I think that gets lost in the shuffle so much. We have... So what you're saying, Jess, and I want to make sure that I clearly understand this, the people that are interviewing for these positions should be trained or somewhat educated to know how to interview properly. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, we talked about this sell sheet and now you're dependent on these people to articulate that sell sheet. There's two completely, I think, different sides. There's that piece where it's all about your company. And then even from just the HR process, you've got the legal aspect. Right. And, right. That's which a whole I think is avenue. completely skipped Com- over. Right. With, do they even know what questions they can and can't ask? Right. And if they ask the wrong question, how is that going to make a your company podcast. look? Which is a totally... <laughs> You could talk about that for hours, but these are the individuals that you've done all the work. You've, like Jason, you said, you've understood who you are. You've understood who your job is. But if you're not the one interviewing, have you spent the time to make sure that the one who is can also speak to it with as much passion as you've put in creating it? And then you're making sure that that candidate, because we know candidates have so many options. So it's just as much about you identifying that they're the right fit for your company, but you want to make them feel like you're the right fit for them. So there has to be a little bit of selling on your side too. And do we train hiring managers to do that? We really don't. We really don't. No. And Especially it's, and it's a missed opportunity because you want your candidate leaving like, that is where I need to be. That's where I want to work. You want him to feel it when he walks out the yep. door and say, I want to work for that company. Yep. So how many interviews do you recommend? And I know, once again, it's going to vary based on the position. So mm-hmm. like maybe for your CFO, you might have, I don't know, I've heard as many as five, six, seven interviews with the last interview being a dinner with, say, the spouse and, and having your spouse there and making sure that you really understand who this person is. But then there might be some positions where- Because the spouse is a reflection of the person. <laughs> well, their relationship yeah, could I know, be impactful I know. to the I've job, heard this especially, especially for a position like that. Yeah. But then there might be some other positions where can you present a job offer at the mm-hmm. first interview? Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that I think you're hearing a lot about within the industry right now is speed to hire. Are you ready to make that decision? And there is that misconception where I need to see three candidates. I need to see 10 candidates. And meanwhile, everybody is so set on hitting this specific number because I think they didn't do an effective job on the front end of identifying what they're looking for. You need to know what you're looking for so that if it's candidate one or candidate nine, the minute that candidate is in there, you're able to move quickly. And I think a lot of that goes to hiring process. And knowing how much you're going to offer them too, I think is a big deal too. Because if you're interviewing somebody and they want to make X and you're offering 75% of X. I don't even bring up money in the first interview at all. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. And maybe we can talk about that in a while. But I don't even talk about money because first of all, it has to be the right fit. 
So may I just share how I go about hiring a CNC machine? Thank you. So what I've implemented recently that I think is working well is everybody in the entire company, and there were only eight people, have to interview the person because if that person is not aligned with our core values... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What our company and what everyone in this company agreed to. This is how we're going to live. This is how we live. This is how we operate this company. If that person, that prospect, that candidate to hire is not aligned with our core values and we don't feel it from that person, no. So the person comes in, I interview, the, I'm the biggest office manager. Everybody in the shop, I don't care if they go five or 10 minutes, you can get a pulse in a person in 30 seconds. The minute that person walks out the door, we do a quick huddle, we sit down and we go round, rob around the table. What did you feel? What kind of pulse? How, mm-hmm. What do you think? Is he smart? Is he aligned with our core values? Would I enjoy spending a lot to 10 of hours time. of time with this person More every single day? More time in your home. Yes, exactly. And it's yep. really been effective. I have to admit, all yep. of our last hires have been great because this pro- it, it gets everybody involved and everyone is empowered to make the decision other than me. Well, you're doing something interesting. You're engaging and buying in your current team yes, too. Yes. So you're not only you're not only onboarding a new person in a great way, but you've also created some retention in your current team yes. because they're feeling so bought in and so engaged to the process and so part of what you're doing. That's huge. That's incredibly impactful. We have a collaborative process as well, right. Jim. We have like close to 45 people, so we don't have everybody it's, you involved. You can't do but, that. Right. But we do have the direct supervisors who sometimes, depending on the position, are maybe are not as skilled interviewers, but we at least have them present so that they can bring some perspective to the interview. And and then we go around the room too and we're like, you know, what did you think? What did you think? What was your gut feeling? Right. And what were some of the more objective things that you could say about this candidate? Shifting to that interview, we always do two-on-one interviews. Do you recommend that or do you think one-on-one interviews are better during the process? Do you have an opinion on that? I'm not a huge fan of the two-on-one okay. because I think that it's a challenging thing to effectively pull off because the mm-hmm. people that are interviewing together need to have a really, really solid dynamic and okay. the ability to engage with each other so that they're effectively engaging with the candidate. Mm, so if you're the candidate coming in and you've got two people and you're the only one, it's immediately intimidating. Totally. So that person might be a little more reserved. And so it puts a lot more burden on your interviewing team to change the environment of that room. Mm-hmm. And that's the skill in, in and of itself is asking those questions to really get content out of the candidate and really get to understand them. So now if you're putting two people together to create a communication dialogue, to really work together in the interview, you're more dependent on how they engage with each other as opposed to how they engage with the candidate. Right. And so then the focus can become one might start to talk and the other starts to talk and then they're kind of tripping over each other and it's like, oh, no, you go, you go. And the candidate's sitting there like, if I'm I was just going to stop talking. I would feel overpowered. Would, it, would that be yep. like Jim's son bringing him along on a date with, with you, the person yeah, like that? Exactly. You know, it just wouldn't work well. well it would not that. work well, no. But I'm just putting myself in the candidate's position. And if I had two leads talking to me, I would feel like, whoa, this is this is over. It's not fair. It's not 50-50. It's not, yep. We're not sharing. It's harder to build that rapport. Yes. It's harder to really connect. And like you said, your team is really looking at that connection because you're going to be spending that time with the individual. Yeah, I, I mean, your son's not going to build a rapport with that date if you're sitting next to him. Well, Jim's going to steal all the thunder. Yeah, he's just going to be yapping along <laughs> the entire time. And yeah, exactly. What about having like a series of interviews in one sitting. Is, there that, you go. is that okay yeah. to do? So one of the teams that I 
love to give credit to is our customer service team is amazing. They've got their process down and it's one of those positions where speed to hire is so important. So we don't want to treat it like you said, a CFO interview where we're bringing someone back five times because they're interviewing other places. And if we're not ready to move quickly, we're going to lose a great candidate. So we do have multiple people sit with that person. They come together as a team after. They know the questions that each other are going to ask. They balance off of each other's questions to get not only consistency from the candidate, but also to make sure that they're getting as much information and content as possible. So they've worked together as a team up front. They know what the candidate's going to go through when the candidate comes in. They're able to engage individually with the candidate. They're able to come back together that same day because they know what they're looking for. And generally, same day, next day, they know what they're going to do. Do they? they so they don't, oh, really? they don't make a job offer at that last, let's just say they have three to four interviews in a row. They're all one-on-ones. That fourth person isn't making a job offer at that oh, moment I would in time. No. I would never no. do so that. So you would never you would never do that. So when you talk speed to hire, you're definitely not talking. No, the because first we do want to make sure that offers are presented the right way, that right. you're providing the content. That's really where you want to engage like a team like myself. My recruiter is phenomenal at extending those offers. And there is a lot of information there. And our hiring managers are there to assess the talent as it fits to their job. But I really truly believe that HR is there to make sure that the content of the offer is effectively communicated because that's our area of expertise. So we want to make sure that they understand all the details of the offer and all of the benefits and all of the great things that come along with it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of information. So I want, I want to go back to this whole making an offer because mm-hmm. I think that that's really important. But just kind of closing out the interview process. Do you have any notions on just a best practice when it comes to interviewing? I think the best practice is to identify what that interviewing process is going to look like before you post the job. So when you're posting the rack and Jim, like you said, is it current? Is it updated? One of the things that we do is look at what our hiring process is going to be because it does two things. One, you can lay it out for the candidate so they know exactly what to expect. They're not going to get caught off guard with a third or fourth interview that they weren't expecting. They'll kind of know where they're at in the process. If they went through one, they might know to expect a second. And then the other is you're streamlined and ready to go on the back end. So you know what's going to happen and you know if you're hiring somebody for one position that really might only take one in-person interview, an entry level, something that you can get done effectively right away, or a CFO that might take four or five, you know that up front, but it should not be the same for each. And you're going to find that you're going to better align the talent with the position by doing that. Great. Let's go to making an offer. So I well, Can I back up just a little ahead. bit before we go to that? When I'm in that interview process, I don't make them an offer and we don't talk money, but I do talk about the benefits about working a car machine and tool. I do talk about how many holidays. I do talk about the culture. I do talk about what we do. I talk about field trips. I talk weekly production meetings. I talk about insurance, but we don't talk about what they're going to get per hour or per week. We don't talk about that yet because I'm trying to putting the icing on the cake for them. And then the rest of it comes at the end when we all collaboratively say, yes, that person we feel is a good fit. Now I'm going to go in for the kill. And I don't mean it like that, <laughs> not for the kill. I'm going to present them with a fair and reasonable offer to be part of the team. Because it doesn't make sense to talk about salary if you're not going to make an offer to exactly. them anyway. Exactly. Why even talk about money? Money should not be part of the problem. We talk about this with Carla Dobick years ago about in interviewing yep. or reviews, Performance reviews, performance reviews is all about the performance of the individual, not about money. Right. Performance is how they're doing. Yep. That's a separate conversation. A separate conversation. <laughs> yep. So I think- Do you, this, do you ever ask 
or find out what their current wages are or well, their desired wages? They're filling out. You have to have them fill out a paper. I think the law says you have to have them fill out a paper application and they'll disclose on the application what they're currently making. So I kind of get can, a Can pulse. you ask that? I what don't think what that they're they, making? I don't think they have to answer that question, though. I think that they're going to give me a benchmark. Either they're going to be 10 bucks an hour or 40 bucks an hour. So you can you don't necessarily have to do a paper application, but you have to do an application. Jim's old school. So we're so, we're yeah. trying to integrate a lot of ours electronic. A lot of our factory yeah, ones are still iPad. paper, but we actually have yeah. an iPad and we okay. hand them an iPad. We just yeah. we just moved but, to a new system where everything is going to be done electronically yeah. as well. Okay. Jason, you mentioned asking about salary yes. and a lot of states are actually making it illegal to ask what you're currently making so. yeah. and illinois is really really close to joining that oh i'm sure that they will. And, yeah. and the intent is employers should pay for the value of what the job is I, right because you and can not because of, there against, you go you know, and a lot yeah. a company might be underpaying an employee before and they're looking to make a change because they know that their worth is a little bit higher so if they disclose i'm at 10 bucks an hour and their position really should be at 20 they're looking for fair market value, but a lot of times you'll get that the company will pull back and maybe do 11 or 12. And so a lot of states are trying to steer away from what do you currently make as opposed to the question to ask, what's your target? What are you looking for? Right. Because really what they're making is irrelevant. What does the job pay? What's fair market for the job? And then what's your experience level as it relates to that? Yeah, I think trying to be as transparent as possible and upfront with wages instead of making it this negotiation thing is the best way to go. And you know what? If, yep. if, if the wages that you're offering are lower than the competition, but you're a better place to work, well, just say it. It's okay. Well, it Jim mentioned okay. that he talks about his benefits, and that's exactly what we said. Who in your interviewing process right. is selling you? And if you don't know that, somebody could leave and not hear all the great things that you're doing because you didn't make sure that was covered. Right. So I have one last question about interviews. One of the ways that we handle our interviews is to use our core values as a way to almost scare somebody away from wanting to be a part of the company. So our core values, do be, go life, do the right thing, be dependable, go above and beyond, life is great. If we have somebody that we really stress a couple of those core values or all of them during the interview process. And we really make sure that people understand you have to be a dependable person in order to be part of this team. So if you're not going to be dependable, I want you to tell me now so that you can opt yourself out. Is that okay to do? I love that. That's amazing because you're aligning someone with who the company is and setting the expectation up front. Mm -hmm. So they know exactly what they're going into. There are no surprises and your likelihood for retention is going to be so much higher because you took the time to make sure that they matched up with who you are. Mm -hmm. Great. Now, can we go to the offer stage, Jim? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I so what do we do at the offer stage? What is the best practice? We've narrow the decision down to this one person and we want to make an offer, what do we do at that point? So I think it's important that the individual extending the offer is trained and understands really the aspects that they need to cover. So what are the pre-employment requirements that you have for your company? Do you require a drug screen? Do you require a background check? What's the offer that you're going to be extending? What are the I kind of call them the black and white benefits, your medical, dental, vision. And then Jim talked a little bit about all of kind of the additional benefits. 401k, holiday yeah. pay, vacation yeah. pay, all those yeah, things. Yeah, the culture things, all of the, and then all of the fun stuff that comes into it. My field trips. You got so, it. Yeah. So you want someone that's effective who can not only kind of sell the offer, but make sure that all of the necessary pieces are communicated as well. And that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time. And so the HR team is generally the ones who are doing it the most and the ones who are trained in it and the ones who understand this 
this is what the process is going to be. We'd like an answer within three days. Once you answer, we're going to send you for the drug screen and background check. Like I said, your hiring manager is looking for the job. So we don't have the time and ability to train every hiring manager on the employment onboarding process. So I always recommend it coming from HR or the individuals that are trained to do it so they can make sure that the candidate understands everything. If they have any questions, you can get those addressed right away as opposed to a hiring manager having to say, let me go check and then having to get back to the person. And now you're in this whole runaround. Get them on the phone one time. If you're, you know, Jim's company and even my company, we don't have a full-time HR person, although I think my wife might be moving into that position, but Jim is HR, right? I I mean, essentially, right? My office you, manager, you and, you Linda, and Linda might and I be. Would be we're yeah. we're going to collaborate the most, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't have that formalized person that is does understand and is trained, how do you how do you make sure I know that how you're to doing sell it, right? it though? Yeah, I know. yeah. I think that it's an incredibly worthwhile investment. So, you mentioned your office manager. Mm-hmm. So, if that's the person that's really going to be extending the offers, put that responsibility on them. We know how many great resources are out there. Spend time on a webinar. Go to a one day association training on Mm -hmm. extending offers, make somebody in your company the expert on that. Because like Jim said, it's your one opportunity to really close that candidate. There is an element of sales in that. They have multiple offers. You need to close that. So we're training people on how to be the best in their jobs. So why are we not training people to be the best in this role? Even if you don't have HR, your office manager can be the one doing it and they're going to get better. They're going to get consistent. They're going to ensure that all the points are met. So I still think it's a really, really great idea to have a point person who's on that and developing that skill and ensuring that all the boxes are being checked. So why don't we move on to onboarding? There's so much depth to both the hiring and the onboarding process. And I I wish we had hours and hours to talk about this, but how long in general do I have to onboard somebody and make sure that they feel good about the decision they made to go to work for me and they understand their job and I'm mentoring them and doing all the right things through that onboarding process. At what point do they just become part of the team and they're no longer legally? a new hire? No, I mean culturally and the fit and their job and everything like that. I don't understand the question. So I think statistically, you'll see a bunch of stats that say anywhere from 45 to 60 days is your timeline to make an impact. A candidate's going to decide in that time frame if this is somewhere they're going to be long term. I think that our market is shifting that a little bit and we're seeing that number actually come down a bit because of the amount of opportunities out there. So you'll still see 45, 60 days, but I think companies need to act and have a mindset of a much shorter time frame because of those opportunities. So really understanding what your day one impact is, what your day seven impact is, 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, really making sure those touch points are there because you want to make sure that that candidate is, like you said, developing that mindset, really coming on board with who the organization is, really getting ingrained and becoming one with the team. But I think the safe kind of standard mindset is around that 45-day mark. That candidate knows if they're Sticking around for the long haul or already on their way out? So can you briefly tell us day one, day seven, day 30, day 45, day 90, what should that person be experiencing? Yeah. So I think for one of the important things is day one should really be focused on integrating and bringing somebody into the company. So understanding a lot of the little so things. So showing around and You got them. it. Oh, yeah. But okay. it's, it's actually Shadowing. unbelievable though, how much we forget about what can make or break someone's first day. So we'll put somebody out on the floor, somebody will be training and then the brake buzzer will ring and everybody kind of heads to what they normally do. Well, who's 
taking responsibility for the Who's new down person. With them and, yeah, making sure they're not. Yeah, do they by know themselves. where the? You might have showed them where the break room was, but that was four hours ago. Yeah, and now everybody's scattering, yeah, yeah. but they're feeling left out. They're not feeling like they're getting. They're not feeling like they're a part of the team, and those little things are incredibly impactful. And Jim, you mentioned shadowing and. I wholeheartedly believe that shadowing can be effective if it's done in an engaging manner. And that's where I feel like it misses the mark. I think that we have a tendency in the industry to have new candidates shadow, but the people that they're shadowing aren't trained or aren't aware of how to engage that person. Is their back to them and they're sitting behind the person they're watching and there's no engagement? Is the person that they're watching turning around and asking them, are you understanding what I did? Does this make sense? I'm going to do this because of X, Y, Z. This is what you would do if this happens. So much of shadowing is just literally sitting and watching and there's not engagement. And now your new hire feels kind of lost, kind of isolated. They're not really feeling like they're part of anything. And Jim, you mentioned how important it is for your team to feel like they're part of something. Day one, you want your new hire to feel like they're part of something. So you have to make sure that if you're shadowing, you're mindfully bringing that person in. If the break bell rings, you have somebody who's going to account for that new person and say, you know what, come sit with us today. Let me show you where the food truck goes. Hey, do you remember where the bathroom is? If you need to run, let me make sure you know where that is. Those little things make somebody feel like they're important, they're valued, they're time and their just their presence is welcomed and appreciated. And those are the things that we're seeing make a difference now. And I think that's what's really rattling a lot of the metalworking nation is because this engagement is, is because we so never new. Used so to warm have to fuzzies. do this. this you is, didn't this need warm fuzzies. Yeah. Well, How would your dad have done that? Oh my God. It's so different nowadays. <laughs> I mean it's but I I get Go it. make some I parts and you you get a break at this time. Yeah. yeah. And don't pull, talk to me during the break. Pull up a chair at lunchtime. <laughs> Open up your sandwich on the bench there. and You only get two trip. cigarettes. Yeah. Don't, don't try to yeah. take a third smoke break. <laughs> well, they used to smoke in the building years ago. What about, day, what about day seven, day 30, day 90? So one of the things that I love that we do is we do touch points at 30 and 60 days. And the intent is for not only our HR team to keep that contact because we want to build a relationship. It's not fun that we get to find the people and bring them on and never see him again. And when you say the HR department, could I replace HR department with the owner in the case that it's a smaller company? I love that even more. I love that even more. Absolutely. Because now you're really getting that buy-in. If somebody, imagine if you have somebody who comes in as a machine operator and at 30 days, the owner of the company, I don't care if you're 30 employees, 50 employees, 80 employees, owner of the company is impactful. Yes. So that machine operator is now sitting down with the owner of the company who's saying, how were your first 30 days? Is your training going well? Are you understanding everything? Is there anything I can do to make your experience better? Are you made to feel a part of the team? Are you feeling a part of the team? Is there anything that we haven't done? What would make it easier for you to learn if there are any struggles? That's incredible. My humble brag, but I'm I'm really proud of Smalley 4 because we really, our focus is making sure that employees are given the resources that they need to be successful. And so who those, are the ones responsible to give those resources? And at those timelines is when I set goals. Yes. So here we are today. We're going to sit down again in 30 or 60 or 90 days. Yep. And let's try to hit this, 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 and this, whatever it yep. is, whatever we deem is important 
and justifiable and relevant, that's what we talk about. If we don't hit it, we don't hit it. But, but I think it's that dialogue because yes. it's not you saying this is what you need to do. It's you saying, okay, what do you think is going to be something that is reasonable but challenging for you? How are you feeling? It's that dialogue where you're bringing the new employee in and you're really understanding you know, kind of what their learning is, how they learn, what their goals are. And now you can say, okay, great. It's your goal to learn this by 30 days. I'm going to do everything I can to help you hit that goal. Well, now it's something that they want to do. They're a part of. They're bought into. It's not you saying, this is what you're going to do on 30 days. Well, I don't know if I have the ability. I'm kind of struggling. I want this. Or I think I can do more than that. Get that feedback from them. Where are they at in the process? I just have some other kind of like random question. With that new hire, should we encourage or even like promote some kind of socialization outside of the work hours in order to acclimate that person to the team? Or do you not even get involved ooh, she, ooh, in that? Ooh, I could see your head's just spinning, Jess. <laughs> the HR She's thinking. the HR and me got a little yeah, nervous. You're thinking no. I don't know if that. I would promote that. Okay. I think that if it naturally happens and you have associates, promoting it can be a really slippery slope because then what okay. if your supervisors are engaging outside of work and the lines are being blurred between leader, manager, associate, Yes. You know, we're still at work. I love where I work because our environment is amazing. We we engage together. We're positive. We're a team. But we're still at work. At the end of the day, you're still at work. Right. It, so is, if you, it is a job, right? Yep. It's still a job. It's still a job. So if you start blurring the lines between work and fun, that's when things might get a little, little dicey. Okay. Okay. So that's an excellent, that's yeah. an excellent answer because I kind of agree. It is a fine line too. You know, we want to create this great culture but we are working. We have to be accountable to making the company grow and evolve. And if we're having too much fun, yep. and especially on the outside, it does. It blurs. But I think the mindset is engagement there. I think the intent behind that is bringing everyone together in a team. So then the focus kind of shifts into how do we do that in the workplace? How do we make sure that our supervisors are trained and able to go up and engage an employee and understand that they can ask the appropriate questions like, hey, how was your weekend? How's everything going today? Is the workload good? Some people might not want to get personal and that's fine, but train your leadership team on how to engage so that you're creating that. I think that's the intent. You're creating that level of relationship that most people assume comes from the outside of work things, but you really can do that effectively in work. And then you're keeping the lines. What have you seen that most manufacturing leaders do incorrectly in the onboarding phase? Mm, or or what question. have you seen change at Smalley that they maybe are doing a lot better right now? Training is oh, such training. a big one. Do we have all day to talk about this? But we, Wait, Well, we don't, <laughs> but no, I, I would truncate yeah, yeah. it down. Yeah. Do it's we, understanding how to make sure that somebody can do the job effectively. So I think that's a big thing. They bring them in. We don't have training processes done. The person gets lost. They lose engagement. Everything kind of spirals from there because everything is built off of that training. So that's something that I think is is so huge because you can make sure that someone has the tools to do the job and then you can build your engagement, you can onboard them, and now you've got all the pieces to the puzzle. I think we put people out on the floor, we forget, we shadow, they shadow for a week, they shadow for two weeks, and now we've lost that excitement. Like you said, people get excited to come in and on day one at Car Machine, you want them to keep that excitement until day 45, until day 60. So that's a huge thing that I feel like we need to 
keep ramping up a little bit. Well, well Jess, this has been oh. you know overwhelmingly helpful for me, and I just I, I feel me like too. I have so many changes and and ways to make my hiring and onboarding process better. I'm not doing a very good job. I mean, I oh, think don't, I'm I, don't. Well, I, I mean, I think be, I'm doing a better job than up. me most, but I, I still have a lot of improvements that I can make. Well, we're and, all we all want to make improvements. I know. think the big thing that we need to learn from Jess is how you come from a big company that has the budget and the resources to train these HR leaders with the correct way to do it and document processes. Yeah, you have you're a manufacturing company with over 500 people. So, right. you know, it's different than Jim and I. Yeah, totally. But I think the mindset is still there. Yeah, you know, there, it totally is there. it is just it is and it's great. I think that the fact that we're listening to you and interpreting it and breaking it down incrementally is going to help me Jason. How can and, you apply it? And the entire metalworking nation that's listening to this show. Right. And today. I think what I need to realize is what one thing can I do differently? Don't and try don't, to don't get you know, overwhelmed do everything with it. is like, you know, what right. one thing can I do differently that's that's going to make the whole process better? Again, just thank you. We would love it if you could actually stick around for us to record another episode because I think that there's just so many questions that I have about the next stage in developing and retaining employees that we want to talk to you about. So if it's okay with you, we'd love for you to stick around. Yeah, let's do it. Great. So Jim, what do we want for the Metalworking Nation? Well, I want them to listen or re-listen once, twice, three times, as many times as they need to. And just old school Jim, get a piece of paper and a pen. Can and I start ri- calling you that from now on? You old can. School Jim? It's right, okay. Sweet. I'm okay. Right. I'm good with right, that. Good. And I think don't get overwhelmed. We say this often, or I say it often. Don't get overwhelmed with all these things that you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to do. If you take one thing, one small thing, and you just implement that thing and you start practicing it, then take the next thing and start incrementally. You'll evolve eventually. Don't don't try to get it all done in four weeks. It might take you four years before you're really good at doing this. But the fact is, if you're trying to do better, I applaud you. Continue to do that. We're all in this together. We don't have all the answers, but hopefully we can take this peer-to-peer sharing opportunity and make our businesses run a little bit more Yeah, we can elevate the manufacturing 100%. industry. 100%. And you enjoyed what we talked about today. We would love for you to go to iTunes and rate and review and give us a five-star review. Rate me. And if you hated it and you're like, I can't stand listening to Jim Carr, he's just... just or Jason's email, just so or, full or of me, himself. Or me, maybe, whatever. So if you, if you haven't enjoyed this episode, email us, info at makingchips.com, and we always want to make making chips better. So because... If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. 